And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. What's going on, man? Dude, I got so many ideas. Like they're they're I got I books, pages, and they are all. 100% brilliant. They're all unicorn ideas? All of them. Every single one. Does that mean we're going to be billionaires? Yeah. Yep. Jets, Lambos, the moon, all of it. Now, before I tell you about all these brilliant ideas, and you can tell me if any of them are any good, I do want to let you know that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping your brilliant ideas become a reality help you build software teams, fullscale.io. Matt, welcome. It's what, this is this part four? Yeah, absolutely. This is fun. 48 more to go yeah, or so, something like that. So part part four of our series of how to start a tech company. This is on the Startup Hustle podcast every Wednesday in 2021. And because we started late, maybe a small portion of 2022. <laughs> <By> um, <laughs> so speaking of good ideas, starting our 52 part series on the first week of the year would have been better. So Matt, you know, as you're aware, um, just from Startup Hustle and a lot of other things, as, as well as you, I talk to a lot of people about a lot of ideas some of which are in motion, some of which are concepts. But one thing I realized is all of them have an amazing idea that's guaranteed to make a gazillion dollars. Do you find that as well? At least they think they do. I mean, my lawn guy asked me, he had some idea for an app. And so I met him last night, uh, the other day in my backyard. And he's like, yeah, we, we use these things to detect the sprinkler lines. And we're, we're, you know, and we're thinking that you could build a mobile app for that. I'm like, okay, but how does a mobile phone detect a wire in the ground? I'm sorry. I think I ruined his idea. But he right, thought well, he had a billion-dollar idea, I think. So, Matt, one of the, I, sometimes when it comes to giving people advice, and I often break hearts as well, I think the best thing we can do for some of them is explain the reality of a lot of it. Because if I'm trying, if you're asking for advice and you want input, uh, you need to hear the truth. You need to yeah. know what you're getting yourself into. And if I can save you from falling down the money pit or at least helping you realize that it's there, then I think I've done you a service. So sometimes the best thing to do is nothing at all. Well, and you, this happens a lot when you have people that have great ideas, but if that idea requires you know, building some sort of product or, or technology and they don't know how to actually do that, then it's hard for them to fully understand the execution and if it's possible or, or how hard it is to do. Yeah. And I think the key is execution. You know, as, as mentioned, uh, I think, I think ideas are cheap. I mean, they're, they're everywhere. I mean, Absolutely. I've got books and books of notes of like things like, I mean, I've got so many things that I probably could have, or maybe in some cases should have done, but didn't 
because in the end, all you can do is all you can do. And much like the backpack that you talked about in previous episodes, the more things I create, get us into or choose to do, well, I got to carry them around with me. So, you know, at this point, if it doesn't have a high upside or I'm not super passionate about it, I'm not really interested in doing that. But for many people that want to start a startup, it starts with one simple idea. So before we get into some of the I, some of the uh, things that make a startup concept any good. Do you have any over? Do you would you do you have any, a preface or anything that you would like to say before we address the court? Well, I'm hoping that one of your ideas will get me into the three comma club. I really want to be part of the three comma club and trace um, commas. the trace commas. Yeah, and I think this is a great a great topic today. So I'm excited to talk about startup ideas because everybody's got one. So when it comes to an idea like, and I want to actually, before we get into the true list, I want to I want to readdress something that we've said a lot on this show, and that any good idea uh, solves a problem. I mean, is that fair to say? It should solve a problem, and it's and it potentially needs to solve a unique problem for a specific set of people. It doesn't necessarily need to solve a problem for everybody. True. True. And I think that the the more specific you are with that problem, the easier that it is to get it to market and potentially monetize it. Now, there's a key ingredient there. And I think that many people overlook this because your idea for whatever it is that you do, it might be a brilliant idea that that changes the world. But if it doesn't generate money, or create money, you are going to have a very hard time not only getting people to support it, you're going to have a difficult time getting it to market. And you're going to have a very difficult time keeping it open. Yeah, I've known a couple, couple people who've had this business where they thought it was great to take pictures and all this stuff. So then after you die, your, your family could see it. Sounds like a great idea. But then there's just nobody wants to buy it. There's no How way to you get someone money. to pay for it. Right. Yeah. Right. And now, there's a lot of that. It's like these ideas make sense, but who's going to pay for it? Yeah. So we've talked in the past about the difference between a business to business solution and a business to consumer solution. I think another thing to in trying to understand if your startup concept is any good is, and like I said, before we get into the list of some of the good and bad stuff is I, I think that an understanding that business to business solutions are, um, if executed well, can be more lucrative, they're easier to get investment around, and they're kind of easier to build revenue around because businesses are going to spend money in larger amounts and usually, in, in many cases, in a free and easier way than a consumer. Uh, you know, I was reviewing our, our QuickBooks uh, yesterday, actually, and there's like 20 things we pay for on our credit cards that are like zero to $200 a month and about half of them. And I'm not even sure what are. Right. Right. And that, I keep paying the point, but if, that if it was your personal, you'd look at it and scrutinize it a little more. Yeah. Uh, people that are making buying decisions and spending a company's money. Um, well, it's, it's a, uh, it's a little easier for them because it's not theirs. Uh, and then another thing too, is you, what you mentioned, you're saying they could be like $200, uh, now, Gigabook, which is uh, kind of a mix. I mean, it is a business to business solution, but most of the people using it are, well, I mean, obviously we have we have some enterprise users, but the more common user is the solopreneur, which is worth $15 a month to us. And it, you have to stack up a lot of $15 bills. Takes a lot of them. Yes, the way it is. 
Okay, let's talk about some of the things that our amazing research team at Full Scale and the Startup Hustle Squad put together. So, uh, you know, I, and they and they nailed this. So, we've talked in the past, and we will again soon about why startups fail. The number one reason is usually the lack of a product market fit. So, a good idea has to have some kind of product market fit. Matt, would will you explain what that means? Yeah, and the the biggest struggle you have is you think you have a great idea and you find five people that agree with you and they buy it and that's fine. But that doesn't mean that you really have what we would call a product market fit to be able to go scale it to the broader market. And the the market is, is a much bigger thing. And just because you, you think you have a great idea and, and maybe you validated it even with a, a few people, it doesn't mean that you've created a product that, that fits into what the market is looking for or existing, you know, segments of the market. You, and, and a lot of, a lot of times, especially when you're selling stuff to businesses, inventing a whole new market category can be very difficult because nobody understands what it is. They don't know what they're buying. You're better off if you're like, Oh, I've created a better version of something or, or I compete with them and I do this, this thing different or whatever. So people understand like, okay, that's the market you fit in. But when you're trying to sell something that does something totally different that nobody can relate to, that's really difficult as well. Yeah, and then putting yourself in a position where you have to educate anybody and everybody about why your solution matters. Well, A, that's going to take a lot of time. It's a lot of work. And it's also a lot of kind of, well, people's attention spans are very finite, especially in 2021. You know, so if you, if, if you don't, if part of having a product market fit it, that matters is like, is it really clear? Like when I go to, but is it so obvious to me what your, what your startup does? And I think that a lot of startups struggle with that. And, and some of them are, are on the other end of it is like they, they're trying to solve 10 problems before they're any good or brilliant at solving one. Well, and, and Stackify is a good example of this. So we do application performance management which is a huge industry. It's an, it's um, a very defined market, but we decided to focus on software developers and the, that's kind of our niche and the, the features and functionality they want. Um, but that's been a little bit of a challenge for us because APM generally is, is seen as a little different thing. And so, you know, it was a little harder road for us actually. And we have to do a little more uh, education to our, our customers because of it. So I was, I was outside of this series. I was talking recently to a guy named Eric Schwartzman, who is uh, a, a subject matter expert when it comes to digital marketing. And um, he was talking about how it's very important to typecast yourself and meaning like, hey, look, this is what I do. This is what we do. This is how we do it and really define those that lane and then stay in it. And, uh, you know, I think that's hard for some startups because, well, um, you know, as you'll soon see in Startup Hustle TV, uh, we have Andrew Morgans, our, our uh, uh, brother in arms uh, at hosting these shows, um, saying the pivot's my favorite move. Um, but uh, if you're already like, hey, we'll start it and maybe we pivot quickly, that's not a very clear definition of what it is you're trying to do. Well, and, and sometimes the best startup ideas are the simplest, you know, the people right. who have some idea to like change the whole world and conquer the whole world and do everything for everybody. Mm -hmm. 
is way more difficult to do than trying to do something simpler. It doesn't mean you can't add more things later, but the simplest ideas a lot of times are the best. Well, and I, okay, so let's talk about Calendly. All right. So Calendly and Gigabook were, they came out around the same time. And, uh, and by the way, Calendly just raised money at a $3 billion valuation. So they got it right. But I remember in the beginning, because people were just starting to do freemium and a whole lot of other things. And that wasn't necessarily the norm. And we were like, well, all they do is bridge a gap between a booking link and Google Calendar. Well, in retrospect, that would have been a brilliant solution for us to pursue uh, instead of because we were busy trying to make sure like, oh, it can take payments. It can do all this crazy stuff. Well, they smoked us. They did. Like, I mean, the, the, the proof's in the pudding, man. $3 billion valuation. And, it, and you know, now we, we ended up going into a different lane and serving a niche of people that wanted something highly customizable. But quite honestly, if we had done what they did at Gigabook, well, A, it probably would have been a hell of a lot more straightforward. Because yeah. they're like, we're, we do what? This is what we do, and we are going to be so brilliant at it, and you know exactly what it does. And, yep. and with that, you have to begin to mute the commentary. And that was the problem we had. It's like we would talk to people like, I wish this took payments. I wish this sent a text message. I wish this did all this other stuff. And next thing you know, you're running around in circles, creating a ball of rubber bands, trying to build everything for everyone, every time, and it was a mistake. Yeah, that, that, and that happens a lot, especially in your early days, because your, your early customers drag you different directions, right? And, you know, Calendly said, look, nope, this is what we do. We're going to be the very best there is at this one thing, just this one thing. That's it. And a lot of times those become the best of breed products for that one thing, but they're, they don't do everything, right? So people outgrow them. They use Calendly for a while, and then they figure out, ah, oh, it doesn't work for some scenario, and then they move on to, to Gigabook. But... But but the massive amount of people in reality needed this one simple slice, you know, now yep. on top of that, though, and you've run into this, too, is you can also paint yourself in the corner. Like, I mean, I can only imagine how much work it is because most of those users are free. Yes. And, you know, some of that freemium stuff, it was like, so there's an app that my wife has been using to learn how to speak French, Duolingo. And it's huge. It's huge. It's like well-funded and everything. I read a, an article about it. Then 97% of their users are free. Wow. And like you have a free, you have a free product as well at Stackify. And some of that, I mean, you have to, you, Hey, look, if it's out there, it's got your name on it. You got to, it, well, it's like a kid. You got to take care of it. Yep. So, so be careful with some of that. Cause if you, if you, if you're already resource strapped going in, that can be tough. Okay. Matt, what is, what is TAM, T-A-M? Total addressable market. And this is something to always keep in mind of when you're starting a company. And it, it's, it's total addressable market, but it's also just thinking about how big your, your company can grow to be. You know, especially if you're looking to raise venture capital and stuff, investors don't want to invest in companies unless they can grow to do millions of dollars in revenue. And a lot of time, tens of millions of dollars in revenue. So if you're you know, as you're thinking about your idea and you think about how it's going to grow and scale, if, if it doesn't have the potential to do, you know, many millions of dollars a year in revenue, it's a different kind of business than one that can. And some of that is, well, and when you're addressing your total, well, you're looking at your total addressable market or your TAM, as they say, 
you know, you're talking about addressing specific customer pain points, addressing common issues in a unique way or clear opportunity to disrupt. Now, if you're pretty far down the funnel with your specificity and the niche that you're in, one thing that can come up is like, well, is there any other competition? And if you run into multiple competitors, it can get real crowded and real nasty to fight for some of that. Now, in the event that, so it was, you know, Jack Welsh, the former CEO and guy at GE at one point was being criticized because when he came in and took over GE, GE does a ton of stuff and he got, he sold off or closed all the divisions that weren't not at least number one or two in the industry or whatever they did because, and it, and it became like kind of a business school philosophy that if you're not number one or number two in what you do, there's a valid argument for the fact that you are maybe on your way out. And so, you know, some of that now, look, it's a crowded world out there now. There's a ton of software that does a ton of things and a ton of stuff, but you got to be aware of what the total addressable market can also, you know, with it be a huge flaw, like, and it could be a problem. So like we use Gigabook as an example. At first I was like, oh my God, anybody could use this. And then we mm -hmm. sat down to try to promote it. And we were like, oh my God, anybody could use this. You right. know, like same words, different context, because a massive total addressable market, well, then you got to have like Coca-Cola money or something like that to, to be able to advertise it because you can't pinpoint yep. and be super specific, especially in the digital marketing world. Like who are we going to, I mean, you'd have to be hyper specific. Now you did that by saying we're addressing software engineers. <clears throat> at Stackify. So at least you have a start there, but that's still a huge swath of people. Yeah. And that was part of our challenge too, is uh, at Stackify, we said, look, software developers are customers. There's millions of them in every, you know, every country in the world. It, like you said, you can't go target all of them. And which one of those actually want to buy my product? If I'm going to spend money on marketing or I'm going to hire a salesperson, who am I, who am I calling? You know, I can't call all of them. So who am I going to call first? And that who you're going to call first is who you've got to focus on first as your addressable market until you can handle more than that. And for us, we eventually figure out, okay, it's companies that have more than 200 employees. They might be in this industry, they're in these countries, you know, they have, you know, they do this type of business or whatever. You, you got to figure out what it is. <clears throat> and the problem everybody makes in their early days as a startup is they, they look at that TAM, kind of like you point out with Gigabook. You're like, everybody needs a scheduling system. Our total addressable market is... $10 a month times 7 billion people. That's our total addressable market, right? That's what people do. And then they put that in their pitch deck and they're like, we're going to get all of these customers in three years and we're going to have hockey stick growth. No, don't do that. But that's what people do. But you got to be more realistic. You, you want to understand, especially to investors, like as we grow, we can grow into this big market, but it's like, we got to start with something small and then eventually we'll add more products or we'll expand into, into different niches and we'll, we'll continue to grow it. But those people that say we're going to do $70 billion a month because everybody needs us, forget it. But Matt, if I only capture 20% of market share in my first two True. years, I'll have True. all of that. True. Yeah, you're right. Uh, maybe it's a good plan. I, I, I see that on pitches and I'm like, man, that's a lot. So by the way, do not underestimate how long it takes to generate a dollar. We talk about that right away in Startup Hustle TV, which by the way, by the time this comes out, we'll be like 
there'll be time for episode four. Oh, wow. Monday, February 1st, episode one and two, they're coming out, man. And in episode one, Matt Watson performs feats of athleticism beyond you're like the six billion dollar man so you are in the trace commas club congratulations uh, nice yeah i'm so old that we once had the six million dollar man which now would just be like the equivalent of like buying a gumball and a gumball machine when it comes to certain things like he's they deprecated that technology so you know when when it is still on the the tam subject you talk about uh, addressing specific customer pain points when it comes to a business to business solution, it needs to help them sell more or spend less, preferably both. Those are, that's an easy sale. Um, now it's a lot trickier when it comes to, to like an actual, just real world consumer, um, you know, cause well, what, what is, what problem are you solving? And, and how specific is it? And is it something they're worth, they're willing to pay for? Because there's a world of free shit out there. That's your real competition is all the free stuff. Well, not, yeah, consumers are, are really <laughs> fickle, right? Like they, they will throw money away on things that they don't even care about. Like they'll, they'll spend $5 on a latte, but they won't, you know, save some money and spend 25 cents for a cup of coffee at home. But they aren't going to spend $5 for an app in the app store. Forget it. Not going to spend $5 yeah. on an app. I'm going to find a free one. But the $5 like, for God the coffee, for, no God forbid, God forbid I have to pay for something. Um, so the, the net, you know, one of the things in here under Tam, we were talking about addressing common issues in a unique way. You had on this earlier in the series. Um, you need to be careful that you're just not trying. Okay, you were talking about reinventing TikTok because you wanted one feature. Yes. And, or, or, and that's a big mistake. Like it is a big mistake because, well, first off, like in that particular example, like how many hundreds of millions of dollars in years behind and exposure and everything are you behind? Like you're not our, our uh, we mentioned in episode 500, one of our favorite episodes ever was with Lyrell Holt. And that was like episode 12 or something. And Lyrell says, you should, you should look at being a coward and go somewhere and do something where you could, you don't want to fight the giants. Like, don't be brave. Go. The cowardly approach says, go some, do something where you can go do it and people will leave you alone to get really good at it. And you don't have to fight Goliath, you know? Well, so, yeah. and, to, and to some degree, if you're after a total addressable market, that's that big, everybody will come after you, right? Because they, they see the big dollars too. And they'll bring their weight and might behind them. Somebody like Amazon will make their way into the space and crush you eventually. And to some degree, you're better off finding a, a smaller little market nobody wants to mess with. Yeah, and I've I've told this story. When this guy sees me again in person, he's probably going to punch me in the face. But I gave a speech years ago, and I had a dude waiting to give me a business plan and pitch me afterward. And you know, he was like, "I've got an idea that's going to take down Amazon." And I literally looked at him. I was like, "I don't want to hear it." He's like, what do you mean? I was like, because that's just not going to happen, dude. I said, I, I actually was like, I, I made I made a comment. I was being polite. You know, I was like, unless you have pictures of Bezos, which by the way, years later, someone did. And that still <laughs> didn't take the thing down. So, you know, I mean, you got, you got to be careful with that. And it's easy to get squashed underfoot. Yeah, because dude, those kind of companies, they, I mean, they squash things every day without even knowing it. I mean, they just really do. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So let's talk for a second about disruption. 
you know, like classic examples of disruption that people really, okay, Uber, uh, without a doubt, disrupted the whole way that people would use a taxi. Airbnb is another good example. Yes. Yes. The largest hotel in the world, the largest hotelier in the world now. And so Matt, when you think about disruption, like, what do you think about? You know, you know, my first company, Venn Solutions, was in some ways disruptive um, because our competitors had old server-based software and it didn't do internet marketing and email very well. And we come along and had a, you know, a less expensive product that was web-based and did really good job with internet marketing and email. It was very disruptive. And we we grew like wildfire because of it. And you've if you're going to build something disruptive, it's got to be a lot better. It can't be just a little better. You know, they say it's got to be like 10 times better. You know, it, it, you can't call somebody up and be like, oh, I know you use QuickBooks today. We've got this one extra feature or I can save you like $5 a month. Like that's not enough. Like there's got to be, it's got to be disruptive. It's got to be a big difference. And Uber was and a big so- difference over the taxis because I could click a button and they, they would just come to me and it was cheaper. Like that was disruptive. It was cheaper, it was faster, and it was easier. So, you know, business school teaches you better, faster, cheaper. Yeah. And and a good a good school teaches you that you have to be like an A grade at two out of three of those to really have a chance, which really supports your comments of it can't just be one. Like it can't just be faster. Because not enough people are gonna like look to especially if you have to move people from if your future customer base is heavily reliant on getting people to switch from anything, because guess what? People are lazy. Yeah, they don't like they don't care. It, like you said, it's like, is it more work? Well, okay, Matt, you mentioned earlier, you, at, you looked at QuickBooks and you're like, what are some of these expenses that we're going into? Now, if they're $20 a month and you don't know what it is, like for me, sometimes that gets backburnered because I'm like, my real upside here is saving $20 a month. And I move on to finding something I could save 200 a month on or 2000 a month before I'm that far down the funnel. But that proves yeah. that there's a stickiness to some of it. And, you know, when I think about disruption, I think about like friction. And, you know, if you want to start a fire, friction has to exist. And so you have to, there has to be something that, that, Okay, so like when it comes to Uber and taxi cabs, like, dude, if you ever were, if you ever had to get a cab pre-Uber, you either had to wait for one to drive by or you had to call the cab company and there was a, a decent likelihood that that cab would actually pick someone else up before it actually found you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> or waiting 45 minutes or something like that. And it's just, it was a huge mess. And then on top of it, really, really expensive. So it was, it was, and, and a lot of that comes back to peace of mind. You didn't have that peace of mind of wanting to call, you know, call the cab and like deal with it. It was aggravating. I think some disruption does begin around peace of mind. It also comes around and peace of mind is sometimes giving people their time back. And that's why like, so like Instacart and some of these other things, like if you can fit, if you're disrupting something that, especially doing something that people don't like doing, like a lot of people don't go like going to the store and going shopping. Me. Right. Right. So there's a, there's a disruptive nature there. Now that, that isn't so disruptive that it put the grocery store out of business 
but it is still disruptive in the way of thinking or doing specific things. So, and you know, this has been a buzzword for a lot of companies for a long time. And I think that the further and further we get down the start, just the air quotes startup timeline, well, more people find ways to disrupt things and do things differently. Like what's the, what do you think the future of disruption is? Like what's it based around? Um, I don't think it changes much. I think these things just, they ebb and flow and things come in trend and out of trend, right? Like take, take office space, for example, we were, everybody had their own office and everything was going to WeWork and then we have COVID and then kind of what happens after that, right? And like some things just naturally have some ebb and flow and sometimes they're, they're impacted by other factors they can't control that happen in the industry or in the market or politics or whatever it is that totally change things. You know, a couple of years ago, it was probably good to own a, a jail you could lease to the federal government, but Biden put an end to that yesterday. Yep. That's a bad place yep. to be right now, <laughs> right? So some yep. things just come come and go and, and you think you could be disruptive in a space and all of a sudden it changes dramatically. Yeah, and I think from like a technological standpoint, I think the future of disruption is going to be highly driven by like the AI machine learning type things. The uh, uh, when and where can a machine just outperform people you know or like i you know and so much of that is like and you look at like and, and i'm not an astronomer but the ability for you know like ai to i chart and identify planets because there's a or stars because there's a billion of them you know yeah. and like and and that and I, that might not be a great example, but in that case, it would be very difficult to do it as a person. It'd be very slow. It'd be very inefficient. So we'll see. You know, like we'll see. I think that a lot of that, a lot of that technology, as it becomes more accessible, like there's the. Uh, by the way, I think no code. I think no code is a big disruption for a lot of people because the uh, the ability to to build a simple app. You look at like uh, like Zapier was mm -hmm. kind of the, the leader with that. And it made like Zapier makes it very easy to connect Gigabook to Google Calendar or like, well, we already connect to Google Calendar. It's a bad example, but maybe Google Sheets or something like that. And the no code, the reason that that platform got so big was it was really easy for the lay person, the non-technical mm -hmm. person to build an integration or a connection. And the no code stuff is helpful for a lot of different reasons for that kind of stuff, connecting applications, or maybe just building something that's like kind of a one-off. Like you're not a technology, you're not a software platform or something like that. So who knows? Okay. Now, an idea without action is worthless. And it was actually our friend, Jackie McCarthy, who mentioned that in the startup hustle chat which is where i'd like to see the listeners come find us and join us because we talk about a lot of this stuff in the startup hustle chat i've been uh secret not so secretly anymore crowdsourcing some content but she is right um that's the thing and we mentioned that at the top of the episode is an idea without execution worthless and that an execution means you know, actually doing it. A lot of, that's the first problem. A lot of people have ideas. They don't ever actually see them through, but it's, you got to have the right team. You got to have the expertise, the connections, the hustle. You got to have the hustle uh, to do it. It's, it's a lot. It all comes down to execution. You know, execution is, can be described and defined in a lot of different ways. And, you know, being someone that was an athlete growing up and still like sports, it's a well-run play. 
you know, like, I mean, and we're Chiefs fans here in Kansas City. If Patrick Mahomes just runs face-to-face at full speed into the running back and the ball flies out and lands on the ground, that is a the, – the announcers, well, well, Matt, that's a poorly executed play by the Chiefs there. And that's the – I mean, that is the business equivalent of having – okay, because on paper it looked great. You were supposed to go this way. I was going to go this way. I give you the ball. These guys move some people out of the way, and we have a forward gain in progress. Now, it's easy to put it on paper. <laughs> it's like a thousand times harder to actually do it. Well, and some of it, it all comes down to the details, right? It's the, it's your, your point about Mahomes. It's, but from a, a startup, it could be just follow up policy procedure, those sort of things that you ultimately fail. Cause like, yeah, we, we don't follow up with customers. We don't answer customer problems fast enough. We, we don't follow up on our leads and our sales. And we just, we're just not executing at the basic fundamentals of some things that need to be done. We're just sloppy and just, or employees don't do their job or whatever it is. And, you're just faltering because of execution at the fundamentals. And, the, and we were talking about like future disruption. That's where I actually see certain types of AI and machine learning helping a lot of businesses because data is everywhere and there's information and patterns and stuff that occur. The, the Okay, the biggest problem with execution, Matt, it's people. Oh, yeah, people. They're it not reliable. Because at, We'll, we'll, we'll quote, we'll quote our good friend, Neil Sharma, who is often says software shows up to work every day. Yep. Absolutely. And now it can also go run wild. Okay. Let's share a poor execution story, Matt. So I'll, and I'll go first. Um, so I wrote about this a million dollar bedroom. I, 10 years ago, I built a, a self-generating website that was a marketplace for buyers and sellers of tickets. Now, as we were working on getting that figured out, uh, it in the early stages was e- executed poorly. And a couple of times we found it just running haywire in our server. And by the time we figured it out, it would have made like 3 million web pages of which 2.9 million were duplicate. Um, that's not a poor, that's not a properly executed plan. That was something, you know, and, uh, I think other things with execution is just simply knowing that you have any instance where you know you have, you know what you need to do and just manage to repeatedly never do it. Yep, absolutely. What have you, I want a story from you, dude. About failed execution? Matt, I know that most everything you do is executed with flaw. Like the, I imagine like, all-star hall of fame athletes crossed with like the precision of a Navy SEALs team. Well, so a great example of this from my Vin Solutions. I'm laughing. I'm laughing when I say that. But from, from the Vin Solutions days and early on is we had built our product and we were selling it and we got a new partner that was supposed to resell the product. And we thought we were going to be like millionaires because they were going to resell our product and send us all this business. And what we found out, really what happened for the next year, is a simple lack of execution. It never went anywhere because we couldn't get the partner to execute, to to sell our product, to to do what we needed them to do. They just, they didn't help. And so that's another dangerous thing about having a startup is when you put yourself at other people's mercy sometimes and you don't control your own destiny, it can be very difficult. Now, partnerships can also be very, very good but sometimes they can be really, really bad and they can totally kill your ability to execute. 
suck the bandwidth, other things. All right. So once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io. We will help you properly execute building a software team at your startup. Okay. Let's talk about bad ideas, Matt. Um, you know, like, you know, it, one of the things, and, and once again, thanks again to those that help us make, help us execute quality podcasts uh, because we do have many people that help us build these lists and do this research. And then we have our own input. And so sometimes we just completely go off of plan, but talking about the, um, you know, uh, anything that has a mismatch of business to the founding team. And while our idea may be good, I think that it becomes not so great if the people that are involved in the business don't have any passion for that solution or somehow just don't have a historical background. Like I would be very, I would be dumb for me to get into the construction business at this point in my life because I don't understand it. I've never worked around it. I've never worked in it. And I'm certainly not a craftsman. So while there might be a solution, like here in Kansas City, we have Labor Chart, uh, who does a great job of helping organize projects and stuff like that. But I don't understand the problem or, or, or I don't understand the problem that I'm trying to solve. So I can, you can take a good idea and make it bad by mismatching it with the wrong people. Do you know anything about heart surgery? I want to start a business that does heart surgery. No, I hear, I hear they make a lot of money, like a hundred thousand dollars a procedure. So I think we should do it. I think no? that's a good example. <laughs> well, and that kind of goes in because the, ne the next item on the list was lack of experience in a field. Like I said, it's like you yeah. can take a good idea, but if you don't understand it and, and look, this is this is what can make a, a concept or an idea seem OK. But then, well, it's an illusion because if you don't understand the industry or the problem that you're trying to solve, you may grossly grossly under well you you are you're asking to step into a bad product market fit well and you you don't you know you don't know what you don't know right like if you think oh i'm going to sell software to car dealers right then or let's say actually a good example of this is like selling software to schools you don't understand how difficult that is and how they buy stuff and their their budgeting cycles and and all these different things they have to go through and the most important part of this is the connections if you worked in a specific industry and you have connections, so doing something in that industry makes a lot of sense versus if, you, if you're like, oh, I want to do something in whatever industry and you know nobody that's in that industry, you're at a huge disadvantage. So let's talk about Venn Solutions for a minute because you certainly were not in the automotive business. No. You actually were selling computers at Sears. Read the story in my book, The Million Dollar Bedroom, Matt. You got like 20 pages about you in it, but you didn't know anything about it, but your partner certainly did. He did. So I was, like, the, yeah. I and, was the technologist and, and he had the connections. He knew the people. He knew the product we needed to deliver and I, I could build the product. And they knew the pain points. They knew exactly where the struggle was and why. And, and here's the thing is some of those people, some of your partners owned car dealerships so they really understood what their peers. Okay. So if you, if you, in this case, if I owned the car lot and I'm like, God, I am just bleeding money doing this. It makes it pretty easy to understand the value of the solution and go, I bet everybody else would love this. And it legitimizes so, it too. And, and they become your referral. Like, Oh, everybody knows so-and-so uses this and I can call them and get a referral and, and all that kind of stuff. Having, having a, a partner, 
that has experienced the industry and, and is reputable is, is really benef beneficial. When did you know that Venn Solutions, and by the way, guys, uh, or those listening, I shouldn't say guys, folks, um, you know, Matt, Matt and his partner sold that business for around 150 million bucks. And so, I mean, they did something right. But at what point did you really realize that it was a great idea? Well, I mean, I would say after the first two or three years, we figured out we at least had a business, but I don't think we thought it was worth anything until five or six years later. And then all of a sudden Crazy. people yeah. start thinking it's worth a worth money. And then, you know, everybody's trying to steal everybody's stock and fight over everything. So, you know, Matt, for those that are unaware, Matt and I uh, started the podcast in December of 2017 and a few months later became business partners in Gigabook. And at Gigabook, I was developing that whole platform and there was a huge market opportunity. And Matt, what Matt was interested in was helping or uh, getting, getting access to the relationships that I had spent years building in the Philippines. And we were originally, we had a beautiful little plan because we were gonna help you solve some of your software development team growth needs mark that up a little bit. Gigabook wouldn't have had a burn rate. It was really kind of a beautiful solution, but we got a couple months into that. And because other people were asking us so often, what literally saying, what can I do to get some developers over there? I can't find them here. We quickly realized that what was a good idea here had presented a way more lucrative or or faster growing you know so idea on the other side so we we weren't even two uh, we were two months into that before we started well basically turning the business to focus on a different way because we had actually well i say a better way we'd found a better way and um, you know, so at some point you talk about when's your idea good? Uh, well, you, so you, you're on one, so full scale's got 200, just under 200 employees now in less than three years. And if it weren't for COVID, that'd probably be about 350, you know? So, you know, so some of that, it's like, you talk about realizing your idea was good. It took us three months at full scale to realize, oh shit, this is what we really need to be doing. And then event solutions are like five years. So I think that there's no set quote gestation period for when that reality hatches. Well, and, and from my event solutions example, we were making money within the first six months, right? So that, that wasn't a problem, but the, the problem we have is people that think they have an idea and like years go by and they think they've got some great idea but they never really execute on it. They, they really never make it happen or they keep thinking it's going to be this big thing and keep working on it, but just need to let it go. I'll know somebody Talk who's in that situation. Oh yeah. All day, all day. I mean, I, well, 90% of people are going to talk about it and never do it. I mean, and, and by the way, failed execution is also never starting. <laughs> I, mm -hmm. I was, I'm in a, a really big Facebook group about podcasting and someone asked the question yesterday. It said, how many episodes and do people usually quit? And I said zero because they never start, um, which is the, the giant body of everyone. It's true. So let's talk about a few things as we, as we head towards the, at the end of part four of, of our, uh, of our series of 
how to start a tech company. And, and, you know, here's the thing, we're four parts into this and we haven't even really gotten into the tech company part of it. These are all things you need to consider. We're, we're doing this for you, everyone. Like this is for you because we have made expensive mistakes in the past learning what we're sharing with you. So, and, and that's important. Um, so a few things to consider before you're starting a business is, you know, turning your idea into a plan. And every entrepreneurial journey does start with an idea. You do have to begin to plan, but the reality is your plan's wrong. Well, it almost doesn't matter what the plan is because the plan isn't, isn't in concrete and that's not exactly how it's going to play out. But your plan at least is your North Star. You're like, I'm going that direction, right? Like the journey is, is, is going to go a little to the left and a little to the right as we go, but at least I know where I'm going. And, and I think I think this is is no different than saying I want to lose weight and I want to lose 50 pounds. It's really difficult to sit sit there and figure out how am I going to do that. Wow, that's overwhelming. But if you can figure out how to, how to lose one pound or two pounds and you figure out what the steps are and how you get there, that's the key to the plan. Like, okay, I've got an idea. What do I need to do? Well, I need to find a, a business partner. I need to find my first customer. I need to validate my idea. Like, you got to come up with the simple steps, and then and then the, the whole thing doesn't seem as daunting. Yeah, and yeah, you know, I actually talked about that in, in Balance Me, my my book about how to be awesome. Um, and your mind can't wrap itself around things that are bigger than like that that the palatable nature of it. So a lot of people, you say, "What's your goal?" And they say, "Well, I want to lose forty pounds." Your goal needs to be to lose five pounds, like or or one pound, or any of that, because no one just loses forty. And the same thing occurs with a business. You're like, okay, I want to egg Matt. You know what I want to do? I'm going to sell a company for 150 million bucks, just like you did, buddy. But that doesn't happen right away. It has to happen. If you eat the elephant one bite at a time and you should start with the tail, <laughs> like, you know, just that's it. And there's no way around it. I, I, you know, if I have a tagline that I love that I, that I created, it's that success demands payment in advance. You are going to have to pay up front for success, people. I have yet to prove this wrong. Like the, the overnight sensation was usually eight years in the making. Yep, I mean, and that's absolutely. really like so much of it. And, and people are like, well, what about so-and-so? Well, dude, you're not successful because you inherited $500 million. That's not success. That's a weird birthright that some people have and some people don't. But when you really and truly define success, it is, it is, a, you always an upfront payment. That's time, energy, emotion, all of it. Um, another thing too, and we've talked about this so much, and I feel that I, I'm so vehement about this next point is follow your passion. Because the passion is jet fuel, man. It is just jet fuel. And it'll make it'll, it, it'll force you to be disciplined on many days, because passion will drive you a lot more than anything else. Yeah, you're right. That idea about being a heart surgeon, I'm not really passionate about. I should probably do something else. I mean, so the thing is, is, you know, in that you're entering a dogfight, you know, like just a nasty, nasty battle is that's what entrepreneurship is, 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 you know, like if you're not passionate about being that fighter, you're going to stay down on the mat and folks, you're going to, you're going to spend time on it. We all get knocked down. Like, Absolutely. I mean, that's, dude, that, that's our whole mission of Startup Hustle and Startup Hustle TV is like, is, is, hey, look, expect to expect to take some blows because you're going to, you are yes. out of doubt. You know, another thing, Matt, is, is, you know, listen to the, listen to, listen to find or study people that have been successful 
And I think I, and everyone says that, but I want you to not be one dimensional. Don't just look at entrepreneurs. Like I, you know, Matt, you know, I've got some interesting relationships, uh, some of which are with rock stars. And I love talking to high level musicians and people that just like do like world-class kind of things. Cause they have a similar, but maybe slightly different approach to finding success and doing things. And they phrase it and frame it and, and tell you about it in different ways. If you can look, success is, is a process and a pattern that regardless of what industry you're in or what you're trying to get to is very patternistic. And, and so talk to people that have done it and ask them and ask them tough questions. And by the way, People like to talk about themselves and they, and those same people likely had someone else give them advice. So don't assume that anybody's not accessible. You can actually reach out to Watson all the time, every time, right? Having mentors is extremely important. And also, you know, reaching out to people in the industry that you're trying to build a solution for to get their feedback and their advice. And I've had, I've talked to a couple of people before that, like I talked to somebody recently from Kansas City that was trying to build something that they thought Stackify was a target customer. And I'm like, why would I use this? There's all these other things I can use that work that are industry-leading products that do the same thing. Why would I take my risk using your thing? Like, I don't understand this at all. And, and you know, you, you want to, and sometimes it's like, they don't even know. Like, oh, I didn't know those things existed. Well, you didn't know because you got to go ask the right people that work in this industry that know about these things. So that's the key is, like you said, listen to the pros, mentors, people in the industry. You got to talk to people. That's one of the number one things you got to do as an entrepreneur is you just got to talk to people because you never know, like, like you may not be able to help me with APM software for software developers, but you might know somebody who does. And that, and that's the thing you just never know. So speaking of pros, and once again, we do have a lot of really interesting and engaging uh, discussion and start a puzzle chat, go to Facebook, type in start a puzzle in the search thingy and you'll find us. So here's a here's a few things. So we I asked the group uh, a couple of weeks ago, how do you know if your startup concept is any good? And these are some of the highlight answers we came up with. So uh, Quentin Scarborough, uh, Paul Connects. Um, he said, when it clearly and easily solves an external and an internal problem for its customers. Another one is, uh, is consider starting with the problem and not the solution because you need to solve a problem. That was from Rana Mumtaz. Um, when someone sees your vision and invests in you, um, from uh, Belinda Wagner mentioned that. Justin Lawson says, niche, just niche. And there's a lot of merit to that. There's riches in the niches. Um, Chris Douglas, uh, being a simple solution that everybody wants. Um, <laughs> David Biga, uh, super entrepreneur. Uh, the people willing to pay you to build it. That's that's Absolutely. a good indicator of whether your idea is any good. And uh, and then and then Andrew Ryan, one of our one of my favorite contributors in that group, says an idea. Nothing. It all comes down to great execution, distribution, and product market fit. He kind of summed up the whole episode in a line. So, and speaking of summing up an episode, Matt, it's time for our our, our founders freestyle in another episode brought to you by Fullscale.io. Check out what we do. We'd love to talk to you about your solutions and needs. So, Matt, what'd you what'd you take out of this episode? What's really like? What's the standout? And what do you what do you love? What do you don't care? What do you not care about? Well, I think everybody's got an idea. I, I think the key is validating the deal, 
the idea and executing on it. And the best way to do that is to talk to mentors, talk to other people that potentially use the product, people in the industry, get their feedback. That's with Stackify. You know, I talked to some of those people and that's how I hired some of my first employees. They're like, oh, I get this problem. I want to, I want to join you on this adventure. And, uh, you know, there, there's lots of good things that can come from it. And then I've got my worst idea ever for you after you do your freestyle. Oh, wow. Wow. You know, I, I think overall, I, I think that your idea is good if you can generate revenue with it, if you have the everything that it takes to get to say you you can execute it. Because like, there's just many ideas that many people should be realistic with themselves that they won't execute well. You have to be open and honest with yourself, first off and foremost. Self-deception when creating a new business or startup is a recipe for disaster, people. Like, you know, assuming that you're always going to figure it out, which I got to be honest, sometimes I, work, I deal in that, in that marketplace, um, but... I have a long history of finding the solutions. So it's questionable. You don't know you're going to find it. I think that uh, knowing and understanding that whatever you're building can ha has the, the ability to be bigger than you, meaning like you're not just creating a job for yourself. Yeah. Like, yep. You know, and that's, a, that's I think that's, a, that's something that a lot of people, they kind of get stuck in their business because they put everything into it and then just, they just basically created a job for themselves. Now, and when I say building something that's bigger than you, meaning like something that has widespread application, we talked about total addressable market and stuff like that. And I mean, overall, like your idea is good. If you're passionate about it, if it helps other people, it helps businesses sell more, spend less, or create some kind of peace of mind the, for the general user. Tell me about your bad idea. All right, so I was meeting with this guy once, and his job, uh, his company, they they sell like little toys to McDonald's and stuff, like they they put in Happy Meals. So he said the problem is it takes too long to have to have them made in China and shipped over. And so he, what he wanted to do is uh, build them on the boat while the boat was on the way from China to here. He thought that would that would get it get them built faster. So. So instead of cheap overseas labor, you now have to employ sailors. I guess you put the cheap something. labor on the on the boat. Yeah, I don't know. That was his. I'm day. struggling to figure out how or where that would that I uh, yeah that's yeah. yeah. You know, you know, the worst idea of all, Matt, is don't don't start your own TV show. For those of you listening, come check out Startup Hustle TV. It's live. We're on YouTube. Uh, we've created something we're really happy about and proud about and we'll be doing for a while. So come see what it's like to be an entrepreneur through the lens of an entrepreneur. I'm out. Thanks, everybody. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.